chapter 8. I want to begin today a little two-part series, if you don't mind. And I'll preach the first part today, and then next Sunday, Mother's Day, I'll, I'll preach the second part. But let me read these two verses of Scripture to you this morning, Romans 8, 24 and 25. This is Paul here writing to the church at Rome, obviously, and here's what he says. For we, we were saved in this hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. If we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. I want to take some time this morning, and then again next week, and I want to preach on this thought. What are you waiting for? Look over at your neighbor. Let's participate. I need to get some of you awake. Look at your neighbor. Look at your neighbor and tell them, say, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Now look at your other neighbor. Come on, we're going to participate a little bit today. Look at your other neighbor and ask him, say, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Let me pray. I'll let you be seated, okay? Let's pray. I'll let you be seated. Father, thank you today for the word. Thank you for the truth of the word today. Thank you for the presence of the Holy Spirit, Lord, that I sense here today. What a wonderful atmosphere that has been prepared for us today, God, through worship. And now we can just pull up to the table, I believe, for the next few moments, God, and feast on your word. Lord, it has nothing to do with me has everything to do with you today, Father. Touch me. Help me articulate the truth of Scripture today and let it be presented in a way that's relevant and it'll be applicable to somebody's life today. When they walk out of here, God, they'll have something to live by. God, not just today, but they'll have something to live on and live by. God, the rest of this week. I love you. I thank you for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, the church said amen. God bless you today. You can be seated. Pastor Tony, thank you today so much for your help. Waiting. Waiting is not a word that many of us like to hear, and it's definitely not something that we like to do. Waiting will test the resolve of the world's kindest, most caring, patient person. Yet studies reveal to us and research reveals to us that we spend a lot of our time waiting. They say that we will spend 27 days of our lives waiting at airports and train stations. They say that we will spend seven years of our lives lying awake in bed at night waiting to fall asleep. They say that the average American will spend 38 hours a year sitting in traffic. If you live around here and travel 81, I think you could probably up that a little bit. They say that we spend 13 hours a year waiting on hold for customer service. 
I'm just going to tell you, I loathe customer service on the phone. And you have to punch like six different numbers to even get a human to come on and talk to you. That's not an automated voice. It'll try the patience and it'll try the salvation of any man or woman, I'm sure. And they say that Americans will spend a combined 37 billion hours a year waiting in line. Those statistics, those studies, that research gives new meaning to the term waiting patiently. And whoever came up with waiting patiently had no idea what they were talking about. I'm not sure you can put the two words together. Even Scripture talks to us about waiting. Psalm 27 and 14, the psalmist said, Wait on the Lord and be of good courage. They had to add the be of good courage part if you're having to wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord and be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thy heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Psalm chapter 40, verses 1, 2, and 3, the psalmist said this, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined unto me, and he heard my cry. He brought me also up out of a horrible pit, out of a miry clay, set my feet on a rock. He established my going. He put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. Many shall see it in fear and will trust in the Lord. Isaiah chapter 40. Verses 28 through 31, it's quite possibly the most famous waiting passage in all of the Bible. And here's what the Bible says, Hast thou not known, and hast thou not heard, that the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth, he neither faints nor is he weary, his understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him that has no might, he increases strength. Even the youth shall faint and become weary, and young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like an eagle. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Then in Hebrews 9 and 28, the writer penned these words. said, So Christ was offered up to bear the sins of many. I like the second part. He said, To those who eagerly wait for him. He will appear a second time apart from salvation, apart from sin for salvation. There's something about waiting. And while the world spins out of control, we wait. While we stand at the possibility of another world war, we wait. While a government shutdown looms in front of us in Washington, we wait. While morals and values are corroding and being corrupted and compromised, we wait. In the midst of tragedy and trial and turmoil and tribulation and death, and devastation and destruction, we simply wait. But what is it 
that we're waiting for. This text that I read to you, the Apostle Paul reveals to us and writes to us about some things that we have already seen up to this point. And because we have already seen some things, our, our hope for those things has already been fulfilled. But there are some things that Paul says that we have not yet seen. And it's those things that we have not yet seen that we, we hope for with expectation. But Paul said we, we wait for them. We eagerly wait for those things with perseverance. When we speak of waiting for, that's indicative of the future. There are some things coming, Aunt B, that we're waiting for. There are some futuristic things that I believe are on the horizon that we are waiting for. So let me ask this question today. What is it that we're waiting for? Somebody nudge your neighbor and say, wake up. He's getting ready to preach. What is it that we're waiting for? I'm going to share two with you today and two next week. First of all, I believe we are waiting for a prophesied event. I'm not talking about some necessarily cataclysmic galactic phenomenon in the planets and the stars, though I believe it's going to affect that. I believe we are waiting for a prophesied event, and it's this. It's the imminent or the soon return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Boy, it's too early to have them do, Dads, but I've got them all over my body right now. Do you realize that at any moment, I don't say that lightly, I don't say that haphazardly, I don't say that half-heartedly, Brother Kenny Hancock. At any moment, Jesus Christ could appear and take us away. I say, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. We're waiting for a prophesied event. Listen, the angels declared it. They declared it in Acts chapter 1, verses 8 through 11. The final words that Jesus would leave with his disciples as he ascended back to heaven to sit at the right hand of the Father after he had been crucified, placed in a tomb, raised from the dead, and walked around this earth for 40 days, showing himself alive, the Bible says, by many infallible proofs. The final words he left with his disciples were this, but you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had finished speaking, while they watched, he was taken up from them. And a cloud appeared and received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, two men stood by them in white apparel and said, Behold, you men of Galilee, 
Why do you stand here gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Hallelujah. I'm telling you the day is coming when Jesus Christ himself is going to step out on a cloud of glory. There's going to be a trumpet blast unlike anything we've ever heard. And all across this world, millions upon millions of people will be called away to live with the Lord forever. The angels declared it. Paul detailed it. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17, and even verse 18, here's what he said. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God, and the dead in Christ are going to rise first. Then those of us who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be. Paul would conclude that in verse 18 and say this, therefore comfort one another with these words. The coming of the Lord Jesus Christ brings me great comfort today, and I want you to know that a world in crisis needs a word of comfort. And here's the word I have for the world today. Jesus Christ is coming back again soon. It is a prophesied event. I'm waiting for the coming of the Lord. Oh, can I preach a little bit more? The angels declared it. Paul detailed it. Enoch described it in Jude 1 and 14, that book right before Revelation. It says, now Enoch, the seventh man from Adam. He prophesied about these men also saying, behold, the Lord comes with 10,000s of his saints. So if the angels declared it, and Paul detailed it, and Enoch described it, Job dreamed about it. He dreamed about a day that he would be delivered from the hell that he was going through while he lived on this earth. He dreamed about a day when he would be delivered from all the loss that he had suffered, his family, his fortune, and his health. And here's what Job would say in Job 19 and 25. He would say, For I know that my Redeemer lives, and he shall stand at last on that day on this earth. The angels declared it. He declared it. Paul detailed it. Enoch described it. Job dreamed about it. But I've got something better than that. You and I, we're going to experience it. And Jesus wrote about it and talked about it in Matthew 24, verses 36 through 44. Here's what he said. But of the day and hour, no man knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as it was in the days of Noah, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as it was in the days before the flood, he said they were eating and drinking. They were marrying and they were giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. Verse 39 says, and they did not know until the flood came and took them all away. He said, so it will also be in the coming of the Son of Man. Verse 40, he said, then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be at the mill grinding. One will be taken 
and the other left. He said in verse 42, watch therefore, for you do not know what hour that your father is coming. But know this, he said in verse 43, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief was coming, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. And in verse 44, Jesus concluded by saying this, therefore, you also be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. I don't know what you're waiting for today. I don't know what you're longing for today, but I'm telling you, I'm waiting for a prophesied event that at any moment right now that Jesus Christ could come back and catch us away and take us to rule and reign with him in heaven forever. In the year 1894, there was a man by the name of James Kirk. He put pen to a piece of paper and he wrote this beautiful hymn that talks about this glorious day. And here's what he said, I am watching for the coming of that glad millennial day when our blessed Lord will come and catch his waiting bride away. Oh, my heart is filled with rapture as I labor, watch and pray, for our Lord is coming back to earth again. Oh, our Lord is coming back to earth again. Yes, our Lord is coming back to earth again. Satan will be bound a thousand years. We'll have no tempter then after Jesus shall come back to earth again. It was Paul who wrote to Titus in Titus 2 and 13 and said, I'm looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but I am looking, I am longing, and I am listening for that day that Jesus Christ is going to come back. I'm waiting for a prophesied event. It is the soon return of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're ready for that, put your hands together and celebrate. Today could be the day. Hallelujah. Boy, it's preaching just like I studied it too this week. Whoo, hallelujah. I'm waiting for a prophesied event. The return of Jesus. I'm telling you today, if you're not ready, if you're not ready for that prophesied event I'm preaching about, before we walk out of this place today, you can make your heart ready. And there is no other name given under heaven whereby man must be saved, but it is the name of Jesus Christ according to Acts 4 and 12. You don't, listen, you don't even have to wait till altar time. You can right where you're sitting today, you can bow your head and open your mouth and say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart and be Lord of my life. I'm waiting for a prophesied event. Number two, I could have preached all four today, but I thought I'd save two for next week. I'm waiting and we're waiting for a perfect body. I know some of you right now, you say, Pastor, what else do I need? I mean, Pastor, look at me. I know. I know some of you real big buff guys. I know you, I know you look in the mirror and you flex. You probably flex before you came this morning. And some of you eat right and you're healthy and you just think, Pastor, this, I mean, look at me, Pastor. How, how much better can I get? And some of you ladies, as beautiful as you are today. Dressed up. I mean, you look nice. You look good. I mean, you say, Pastor, look, I, 
I look good today, Pastor. I'm dressed nice. Got my makeup. My makeup's just right. Pastor, I had a, had a good hair day this morning, Pastor. I got me some new jewelry on. Pastor, look, I, how, how much better? How much better can I get, Pastor? I'm going to tell you right now, right this very moment as we sit here and I preach this, your body's breaking down. It's wasting away. Now, make no mistake about it. I don't want anybody to leave here today feeling beat down with low self-esteem. You all look good, by the way. All of you look good. But there's room for improvement for all of us. But I'm waiting for a perfect body. I'm telling you that the fall of man and the curse of sin, it still stings today. I'm just going to get a little comfortable this morning. Can I do that? The fall of man and the curse of sin still stings today. The suffering, the sickness, the death, the disease, that is all part of the unfortunate fall of the first man and the first woman. If we go back to the book of Genesis, and God spent six days creating all that we see and all that we enjoy. The seventh day, the Bible said that he rested. Genesis 1 and 1 opens like this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Then, verse 3, I like verse 3, then God said, let there be. He said three words. And I'm telling you, galaxies started appearing. Planets started rotating. He slung the sun into space and he hung the moon. And for six days... On that sixth day, I believe it was the climax of creation on that sixth day. God looked around and saw everything that he had made, but there was something that was missing. He needed somebody to tend all the stuff that he had created. So the Bible said that he, he formed man from the dust of the earth, according to Genesis 2 and 7. He breathed into man's nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. God looked down, and he saw Adam, the first man. And God said, it's not good that this man be alone. He needs a partner. He needs a helpmate. And he put Adam into a deep sleep, opened up his side, and he pulled out a rib. And from that rib, he created a woman, and he called her Eve. And he gave them dominion, and he gave them power, and he gave them authority. He gave them authority to... Name all the animals that he had created. Told them to, to rule and to reign. Put them in a garden called Eden. And said, this is your domain. This is your habitat. Everything here belongs to you. Have full reign. Have full control. But of all the fruit in the garden, you can eat of every tree that you want. But there's a tree called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You're not to touch that tree. You're not to taste that tree. For the day that you do, you will surely die. And you know the story. It carries over into Genesis 3 that the serpent, it was a form of Satan, slithered up to Eve. 
and said to her, did God really say? All of a sudden, at that moment, the enemy sowed a seed of doubt in that woman's mind. Did God really say? God, God didn't mean that. God's just afraid, Eve, that the day that you eat that fruit that you'll become like him. Go ahead, Eve. And Eve takes that fruit and she tastes that fruit and she calls Adam over. Adam tastes that fruit. All of a sudden the Bible said their eyes were open and they realized they were naked. Because earlier on, if you study the chapter out, it says that they were naked and they were not ashamed. They didn't have any idea they were naked because, listen, sin had not entered the human race yet. There was no impurity. There was no unholy thoughts. Everything was perfect. And the Bible says that Adam and Eve sewed fig leaves together to make a covering for themselves. And as they, the Bible says they, they made a covering for themselves and they tried to hide from God. And it said they heard the voice of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And God leaned over the balconies of heaven and he said, Adam, where are you? It wasn't a question of location. God knew exactly where he was. But it was a question of, Adam, why are you where you are? Why are you trying to hide yourself from me? Hey, Lord, I was afraid. I was naked and I hid myself. Adam, who told you? You were naked. Why are you trying to hide? Adam, did you eat of the fruit? And Adam says, Lord, the woman you gave to me. It's the blame game. The woman you gave to me enticed me. And God confronts Eve. He says, but God, it was the serpent. And at that moment, listen, God banished them from the garden. He places these two angelic cherubims there at the entrance of Eden with flaming swords to guard it and to never allow them back in again. Now, here's my point in telling you all that. That the day that they ate that fruit, they opened the door for sin and the world has been cursed ever since. And the tragedy and the turmoil and the sorrow and the separation is now a normal part of life in this imperfect world that we're living in. And for 6,000 years, we have been bearing the weight of sin's consequences. What did he tell him? He said, Eve, because you've done this, in pain, in pain, they're going to conceive and give birth to children. Adam, because you've done this, the ground is now cursed because of you. And from the sweat of your brow, you will toil and you will labor. And that's why Paul would be able to write hundreds of years later in Romans 6 and 23 and say the wages of sin is death. Why, Pastor? Because Adam and Eve opened the door. And when they opened the door, the world became cursed. And today, because of the curse of sin and the fall of man, we have a world that is filled with violence and hatred and murder. Because of the fall of mankind, now today we have this dreaded disease called cancer. And we have heart disease and heart attacks and strokes and sugar diabetes. Now, I understand there are some things that we must do on our part to keep ourselves healthy, but the day that those two sinned, they opened the door 
for the curse that we're living under today. But I want you to know that there is a day coming that all of that will vanish away and victory once and for all will belong to us. Pastor, come help me land this. I just need you for now to come play. There is coming a day when we are going to get what I call an extreme and an eternal makeover. Anybody ever seen that show, Extreme Makeover? I'm telling you, there's a day coming that we are going to get an external and an extreme makeover. The very appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ will forever alter the imperfections we've lived with and lived under once and for all, Jerry Beckner. The Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15, 51 through 55. He said, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. Talking about death now. But we shall all be changed in a moment. In the twinkling of an eye. At the last trumpet, trumpet's going to sound. The dead are going to be raised incorruptible and we're going to be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption, this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? John wrote in 1 John 3 and 2. He said, Beloved, now we are children of God. Listen to this. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know, we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him. When he's revealed, Gene Turpin, we're going to be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Do you hear that? Jesus is going to appear. And when he does, when he does appear, we're going to be like him. That means that whatever disease may be racking your body today, it's not going to be there when Jesus appears. Whatever's been tormenting your mind, that depression, that fear, that anxiety, that worry, when he appears, it won't be there anymore because we're going to be like him. Those sugar diabetes that have been hounding you for years, when he appears, they won't be there anymore because we're going to be like him. That heart disease 
you've had, all the blood pressure medicine you've had to take, when he appears, it won't be there anymore. You know why? Because we're going to be, when he's revealed, we will be like him, for we're going to see him as he is. I conclude with this scene for you out of Revelation. I sense the Holy Ghost here today. I wish you'd just raise up your hand right where you are and welcome the presence of the Lord today. He's here. John gives us a picture in Revelation 21 of, of heaven. He calls it the New Jerusalem. Now let me, I'm going to say something here to you. It might mess with some of your theology. But you study Scripture. You research it. The heaven that we go to when we die, that's not the heaven we're going to live in forever. They call that the intermediate heaven. Because the Bible tells us in Revelation 21 that that holy city, the new Jerusalem, the new heaven, new earth, it's coming down out of heaven. You know that, don't you? Some of you are going, my God, I didn't, I didn't have any idea. Well, I just told you. And John said, listen, here's if you study it out, what's heaven going to be like, Pastor? Oh, it's going to be streets of gold. It's going to be a city that's four square, right? It's going to be walls of jasper and gates of pearl and a river of life. But that heaven that our loved ones are in now, that's the intermediate heaven. The day's coming that that new Jerusalem, that holy city, that new heaven, it's coming down, John said. What's it going to look like, Pastor? I believe it's going to look much like the earth, just without sin. And it's going to be the most amazing, beautiful place that we've ever seen. Here's what John said. He said, I, John, I saw the holy city of the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven. It was adorned like a bride. Woo! Adorned like a bride, ready for her groom. And that new Jerusalem that came down, here's what John said it was going to be like. Here's the atmosphere it was going to be like. He said, on that day, when that new heaven, new earth comes down here and Jesus sets up his reign. He said, God's going to wipe away every tear. You won't need these anymore. He said, he's going to wipe away every tear from their eyes. He said, there'll be no more death. Thank God we won't have to go to one more funeral, look at one more body, watch one more family grieve when we get to heaven because there'll be no more death when we get there. I got that moonwalking anointing all over me right now. <clears throat> now, Pastor, if we're on Facebook Live, people will think you're crazy. I don't care. He said there'll be no more death. There'll be no more sorrow. There'll be no more crying. And there'll be no more pain. Because the former things, Pastor Tony, have passed away. Oh, my God. That means there'll be no more heartache when you get to heaven. 
There'll be no separation. There'll be no loss. There'll be no bondages. There'll be no drug addictions. There'll be no sickness. There'll be no disease. There'll be no more bad doctor's reports because I'm telling you when Jesus Christ appears, he's going to make everything brand new when we get there. I'm telling you, we will be like him. amazing today what medical science and modern technology can do. I mean, doctors can give you a new heart. They can give you new organs. But only Jesus can give you a new body. And I have high respect for folks in the medical field. We've got folks that are sitting in this congregation this morning have degrees in medicine and science. I'm telling you today, medical science and modern technology, I mean, there's stuff they can do now. It's amazing. They can do a heart. They can take an old heart out and put a new heart in. They can put new organs in. I mean, all kind of stuff. But only Jesus can give you a new body. And here's what John said in verse 5 of Revelation 21. And he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. <laughs> I make all things new. I'm telling you today, I don't know about you, I'm waiting, not just for a prophesied event, but I'm waiting for a perfect body. I'm waiting for that day when I'll never have to pay a copay again. Hallelujah. I'm waiting for that day when I won't, I won't get a notice in the mail saying, by the way, we had your card on hold and the copay was more than we thought, so we're going to bill your card. Thank you very much. I'm waiting for the day. I'll never have to sit in a doctor's office again. I'm waiting for the day that I'll never have to take one more pill for acid reflux. I'm waiting for the day that I'll never have another pain in my body again. I know you're waiting for that day that you'll never, ever have to deal with a sickness again. And you'll never, ever have to deal with your loved ones being sick again. I'm waiting for a perfect body. What are you waiting for? I'm waiting for a prophesied event. I'm waiting for the coming of the Lord. I'm waiting for a perfect body. Pastor, when's that day going to be? I don't know. But I'm telling you, it could be today. It could be before we walk out of this place, get in our cars, and head toward lunch today, Jesus Christ could come back. And with our very eyes, we'll see the prophecy fulfilled. And then, indeed, these old bodies will put off this old skin, this old shell. We'll take on a glorified body, perfect forever. Behold, he said, he who sits on the throne, who rules and who reigns, who has the final say-so, says, Behold, I make all things new. Stand on, please, to your feet all over this building today. If you want to come back next week, I'm going to preach about two more things we're waiting for. We're waiting for a prepared place. We're waiting for a promised crown. But today... I'm waiting for a prophesied event. I'm waiting for a perfect body.
But pastor, in the meantime, what do we do while we wait? What do we do while we, while we wait, pastor? What do we do? We continue to hope. We continue to hope with expectation and we hope with perseverance. You know what I believe today? I believe that when we get there, that indeed he's going to make all things new. But I believe that on this side of heaven, I believe he's still in the business of making things new. I believe that while we wait for a prophesied event in a perfect body, I believe we wait with expectation and hope that God's going to make things new in our lives down here before we get there. I believe God's able to do that today. Would you bow your heads with me for just a moment this morning? Father, thank you for the word today. Thank you for the word today. Thank you for the truth of your word today, Father. Thank you, God, that we're waiting. We're waiting with expectation and hope for a prophesied event. We're waiting with expectation and hope for a perfect body. God, today it's my prayer that if there's anybody in this place that does not have a relationship with you, God, that you touch their hearts right this very moment. You speak to their hearts right now, Father. You let the conviction of your Holy Spirit grip their hearts right where they are today. And you draw them, Father, into a relationship with you.